It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Holy guacamole. Uh... Oh, right, the, uh, the suit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, uh, kind of out of it right now. <sighs> okay, um... <clears throat> first things first. Yoink! Alright. Yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's better where he's at right now, honestly. Okay, um... This is brutal. This is... I feel like I should give a disclaimer before this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um... We all knew what was gonna happen here, right? Like, this is not a surprise of what happened, right? And I'm not even gonna do the kayfabe stuff where I'm like, I, I pretend to not read the chapter first and I wonder what's gonna happen in this chapter. No, this is... This is brutality. This is... This is obliteration. This is evisceration. This is like... Jesus, Burgess, Shanks, like, God! This is like... Imagine, like, the world champion boxer. Best boxer in the entire world. A dude that can, like, just one punch and just flat out, straight up kill somebody. Alright? And... You got, like, I don't know, a 12-year-old a, a kid that's like, Yeah, I can take him! <laughs> and then somehow, you know, a, a match is actually orchestrated between World Heavyweight Boxing Champion and, like, the little kid. And it's like, yeah, don't worry, I could take him! I got this, everybody! And it's like every single person is like, Oh, no! Oh, no! Like, and they're going up to the world champion boxer, and they're like, Hey, man, like, at least take it a little easy on him, and the world championship boxer's just like, Nope! He's a challenger! Gonna fight! 100%! Yeah! 
right. So this will be One Piece chapter 1079 review. Um, the, the Emperor of the Sea, red-haired crew. The red-haired pirates. Um, the cover page is Luffy watering a lion. Because he thought it was a sunflower. Well, isn't that just dandy? Isn't that just wonderful? Honestly, you know what? Let's just explore that. Okay, Luffy's strolling through a garden one day. Hum bumbly bum, I'm just gonna be the king of the pirates, Kaiser Kohone, Oroanar. And then, you know, he has a little watering can and he sees a little, he thinks it's a sunflower, get it? Cause it's like the sunny, it's like, oh, I'm gonna water that. And it turns out it's a lion and the lion's there just trying to enjoy a nice nap in the field and gets doused by water, and the lion, like, looks perturbed. He looks annoyed, but he doesn't look, like, angry. He just looks like, seriously, dude. So that's kind of funny, right? That's cute. Um, end of the Germa cover series, by the way, because we're back to the art requests that fans give to Oda. So I guess the, the Neo-Mads thing was the end of the Germa double six. Um, alright, so we, we do actually have some other stuff to cover in the chapter before we get to the absolute just mutilation here, okay? The, it's bad, man. I mean, I've read a lot of seinen manga in my day. I don't know how Oda was able to publish this shit in a shonen magazine, dear lord. But first things first, over at Egghead Island, right? We have York, okay? And we have a little bit of a flashback to a few hours ago. This is pretty much just Oda putting all the puzzle pieces together for us, you know, because the last chapter it's revealed York was the traitor, so uh, Oda's per pretty much just sitting down and explaining to us, like, okay, how did Orc, uh, how did York orchestrate all of this? Okay, how did she put it all together with the Seraphim and everything? Well, we have York realizing that she's about to be double-crossed by the world government, so she does have at least a little bit of common sense there. She realizes that, like, hmm, this is a little bit of a situation. It seems that the government's not only going to eliminate the other Vegapunks, they're also going to eliminate me. Although it is framed in a way that York didn't expect that to happen. Now keep in mind, this happened a few hours ago. So remember when York was confronting Vegapunk, that's in the present, okay? And she clearly said to the Stella body, Hey there, Stella, I'm gonna be a celestial dragon. And here she is a couple hours earlier stating that she's aware that the government is going to double-cross her and that they're trying to eliminate her as well. So it's a little strange. Um, maybe she has another plan above all of that. Um, she did state that you know there are hostages in the basement that the Seraphim cannot uh, eliminate, referring to not only the Stella body, but also the Cypherpole agents as well. So maybe York is attempting to, like, ransom Vegapunk. You know, like, I have Vegapunk and I have these Cypherpole agents, so if you make me a Celestial Dragon, uh, I'll give them over to you, but if not, then I'm gonna leave with them. Now, when it comes to the Cypherpole agents, I'm pretty damn sure that the Gorosei and the world government at large do not care about any of them. They are completely, completely disposable, alright? It doesn't matter if you're Cypherpole 5, 7, 8, 9, or even Cypherpole Ages 0. We saw it, Wano, they are not above giving them orders that will result in their death, okay? So, I don't think you're gonna be able to use the Cypherpole agents as hostages. But we have the scene where it's right after the Seraphim first initially attacked the lab, okay? So the scene where 
badass Hawk took the sword and like sliced off the top of the lab and then Edison and Lilith came out and I believe it was Edison that was the one that gave the order like Seraphim stand down and so they do and then they begin to regroup and I guess before that happened that's when York uh, got all of the Seraphim kind of into a huddle and they're like okay all right huddle up huddle up everybody come over here okay so it turns out the world government's gonna double cross and uh, try to kill me as well so here's what we're going to do you guys are gonna go you know rampage and just kind of go wild eliminate everyone the frontier dome is back up so no one can escape eliminate everybody kill on site the only people that you do not kill are Vegapunk and the hostages in the basement and myself. So York and Vegapunk, the main Stella body, and then um, the hostages, so the Cypherpole agents. Everybody else you can eliminate. The other satellites, doesn't matter. Straw Hats, doesn't matter. Stussy, doesn't matter. Eliminate everyone else that you see on site, okay? All the Seraphim, S-Bear, S-Snake, S-Shark, and S-Hawk all say, understood. They all agree. Uh, and then they, uh, uh, York also explains that there's a certain region in the lab that you should not attack. Uh, now, we don't exactly get to hear what that location is. Uh, she just says, oh, one more thing, uh, one more thing, there's an area you're not allowed to go and destroy under any circumstances. So I'm not really sure what region she's specifically talking about. Uh, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking of all the different buildings in the lab. Now, she might be just referring to Punk Records, but Punk Records is, is kind of like the dome over the entire island, like the upper half of that egg. So I'm not sure if that's like she was including that as a reference or just the actual lab that they're in with the three different buildings buildings A, B, and C. So if she is referring to the entire lab, uh, like Labosphere as a whole, probably talking about punk records because you don't want that to be a destroyed, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, but if she's referring to just the building itself, uh, she might be talking about maybe um, there's a part of the lab that deals with maintenance or maybe the production of Seraphim. So maybe like the area where the Seraphim are born or created, maybe she doesn't want that to be destroyed because that could be useful. Maybe the, uh, the lab or the repair shop because Atlas was repaired in the lab, so maybe like an area like that. Things that would, you know, be beneficial for York to continue her existence as well as maybe increase her fighting force probably wouldn't want that area to be destroyed, okay? So that's the uh, basic idea here. She also gives the order to S-Snake here that um, you will turn me to stone uh, as soon as it's convenient and then wait until there's nobody around and then return me to, you know, my normal state, okay? So that's interesting because... We saw York turn to stone, and then the whole thing with Lilith and Usopp getting turned to stone, and then Frankie got mostly turned to stone, and then S-Snake stepped on Pythagoras, blew him up, and then the next thing we see is York back up in action, moving around, attacking Shaka, and approaching the Stella body in the basement. So... That means that after the events, after S-Snake stepped on Pythagoras and blew him up, I guess she went over to York and released her, meaning that Frankie, if, if, unless S-Snake went over and finished petrifying Frankie, which could have happened, um, unless she did that, Frankie should still at least be aware of what was happening here. Uh, unless the smoke, you know, obscured it and everything like that, but, but Frankie was still able to see and to talk, so maybe S-Snake was like, oh, it doesn't matter because he can't move, he can't do anything, so so it doesn't matter. So Frankie might be aware of what's going on here. Just throwing that out there. Unless S-Snake just went over and used another perfume femur to turn him completely to stone. Something like that. Totally possible. 
So that's kind of the orders there. There's still a little bit of this mystery that we don't know yet exactly. There's definitely more than one person involved in this. Um, and uh, that, that might just be a subordinate of York, though. But yeah, York's idea was like, okay, I'm going to leak this information to the Gorosei that Vegapunk is studying the Void Century to get the government to come and investigate this. Then I'm going to capture the Cypherpol agents that come to investigate this. So then the government will take it more seriously, and then the government will eliminate Vegapunk, because in the last chapter, York said, you know, there's more than enough Vegapunks in the world. We don't need that many. We only need one. So even though York realized that the government were going to eliminate her now, it seems like she's just realizing this. Like, it's something that just occurred to her. Like, well, they sent Luchi and Kaku, and they're going to eliminate me as well. Well, isn't this just a monkey wrench in my operations? Oh, man. It's like... I, I, this plan was not going to work, okay? I don't know really what York's goal is here. I guess to use Vegapunk as a hostage, like, you know, if you if you give me Celestial Dragon status, I'll give you Vegapunk! And what is she expecting? The Gorosei to just listen to her word and just be like, Oh yeah, okay, we'll make you a Celestial Dragon. In fact, right now, Saint J. Garcia Saturn, I, one of the Gorosei, declare you York to be a Celestial Dragon. And she's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And she just throws over Vegapunk, and then Saint J. Garcia's like, all right, cool, great, Eliminator, bye. And she's like, yeah. Oh, she also brings up, though, that she herself is uh, pretty weak. Um, now, she's a giant woman, so I'm sure compared to an average human, she could, you know, fight. But when it comes to, like, the straw hats at large, like Luffy, Zoro, Jinbei, Sanji, she admits that I will not stand a chance in a fight. She's even also kind of implying, I think, that there's other satellites that are maybe stronger than her, because really all she does is eat and sleep all day. She probably doesn't have a lot of combat training, and so maybe even Atlas uh, could beat her up, maybe. So she does mention that, like, hey, I have to make sure they don't catch me, so that's why I have to do the whole thing with S-Snake turning to stone and all that. So that's some stuff with York there. Uh, we have a brief scene of S-Snake um, heading throughout the lab. Remember, S-Snake now has a limited all of her targets, so now she's moving to another location. Uh, she might be going after either Stussy and Jinbei's group, or she might be going after uh, Robin, Chopper, and Atlas's group that are heading to the basement right now, okay? Because she eliminated kind of everybody she had to there. So now we cut back down very briefly to the lower part of the island where we have all of the, uh, the civilians, all of the scientists and the, you know, the students and everything rushing off the island. Um, they did find one port because the world government said they were going to destroy all the ships, destroy all the ports, but they were stopped pretty quickly by the Mark III's. So I guess they might have destroyed or damaged some of the ports, but not all of them. So the Mark III's are kind of there as a security force, like protect civilians, make sure they escape island, you know, something like that. So with the Mark III's helping them out, kind of putting up a barricade, the civilians are able to reach a ship, and they're they're like a mob getting up there, just like, we gotta go! It's just like, get off the island, right? And so, Centimaru's still in the lab, and he's just like, man, I hope, I hope they're gonna get off this island okay. And then the last shot we have of Egghead, this chapter, is we cut away outside of it, and uh, we see a ship approaching. Is it a marine ship? Mm? Is it a government ship? Mm-mm. It's a Blackbeard ship. That's right. It's one of uh, Blackbeard ships that have a very noticeable raft kind of appearance. We see that arriving, and we see the flag of uh, Marshal D. Teach, the three skulls flying uh, as the Jolly Roger, and it's approaching Egghead. Okay. Now, a lot of people are going to freak out immediately over that, but I'm just going to throw out an idea right out of the gate. Aokiji. 
be Aokiji, right? Because we know Blackbeard right now is over on Winter Island, possibly Wiener Island, uh, fighting against Law. That's where Blackbeard is located. Uh, now, there's other ten Titanic captains. Not all of the Titanic captains are with Blackbeard right now. Burgess is with them. Augur is with them. Doc Q is with them. Uh, Davon, Vasco Shot, uh, San Juan Wolf, all those guys are still back at Hachinosu for what we understand, or maybe they're out somewhere else in the world. Could be one of them right here. Um, you know, Shiryu could be here. That could be his ship. Could be Lafitte's ship. But I'm thinking it might be Aokiji because Aokiji, I think, with his morality and everything, is probably going to get along with Vegapunk. I could see him working together with him. I could see Aokiji working with the revolutionaries, like, undercover, and I can also see him working like he's a member of S.W.O.R.D., and I could see him being on Vegapunk's side. So, you see Blackbeard's ship. Don't immediately freak out, like, holy crap, don't they have enough on their plate right now? <laughs> they have to deal with... Although, although, I will say this. I will say this. Despite the fact that Egghead is about to be besieged by, and let's take a quick count, Navy High Admiral Kizaru, a member of the Gorosei, about, oh, let's lowball it and say 50 marine battleships, probably a lot higher than that, but let's lowball at 50, led by no less than at least four Navy Vice Admirals, probably more, but just four that we saw last time, Dahl, maybe it's Kadar, and then two other dudes. Um, probably a lot more Vice Admirals, probably a lot more ships, because they are really mobilizing, like, everything here is heading to this island. Um, in terms of actual infantry, and in terms of actual soldiers in the Marines, uh, you know, that are just, like, cannon fodder, probably in the thousands. Uh, in terms of other high-ranking officers, you know, we're talking, like, captains, commanders, lieutenants, you know, several dozen of those, if not maybe well over a hundred uh, people that have devil fruit powers and hockey and Rokushiki, and uh, they are now all descending on this island. Even with that being the situation, I would still take that any day of the week over what kid is about to deal with, okay? Okay? That would easily, easily take that bet. All right. So now we cut over to the Warland, Elbaf. By the way, did you notice Elbaf is Fable spelled backwards? I just got that. Okay, so no, I, I've known about that for a while. That's, that was a joke, that was a joke. I'm trying to bring a little bit of levity into the sheer, sheer bloodshed we are about to witness, okay? This is bad. I saw some pretty gory films in my... I like horror movies, okay? I saw Scream 6 last night. There was a lot of blood in Scream 6, all right? It was pretty brutal, okay? But this is just gratuitous, okay? I'm, okay, so... We continue where we left off, pretty much. We have Eustace Captain Kid, Captain of the Kid Pirates, from the South Blue. Three billion berries, ah. Uh, he was such a, well, is, he's not, well, he was, yeah, he was, he was a great guy, wasn't he? Okay, so, uh, he's approaching Elbaf. Uh, last time we heard that uh, Rockstar, one of the members of the Shanks' crew, was actually going to be, uh, be like an envoy to kind of just warn Kid to like, don't dock here, drop your poneglyph, and just leave. Uh, but we don't actually see Rockstar in this chapter, unfortunately. Instead, we have three 
ally captains that are captains of pirate crews that sh this is like Shanks pirate armada, okay? Just like how Whitebeard had the Declavin brothers and Squardo and um, uh, uh, Iowan, he was the, the walrus mink, remember that dude? Uh, AO pirates, uh, you know, uh, all those guys during Marineford. Uh, Shanks has this strong crew, uh, all these allies pirates that are made up of, uh, hold on a moment, I have to read some of these names here. <clears throat> we have the great uh, Puddle Pirates, the Puddle Pirates, captained by Paddle Toe Gettotini. Ghetto, ghetto. Remember, ghetto is just the onomatopoeia for the sound a frog makes. It's ribbit, basically. Now, ribbit, ribbit, it's ghetto, ghetto, you know, um, in Japanese there. And so he shows up and he's just like, you know, you won't uh, even get a chance to see Shanks, ghetto, ghetto. I'll stop you. And then we have an old pirate man which might be my favorite. We have an old pirate man, head of the social club pirates. He just, he's the head of a social club. He's just like, oh yes, men, come join my social club. You know, we, we golf every other Tuesday, you know, come on in, all right. And uh, this is Gravetooth Fugar. And uh, he's talking, he has dentures because he's old and he's just like, oh my God. One second. All right. <clears throat> just because I love doing the old man voice. And just like, kid, you're gonna stop us from kicking Shanks' butt. You're gonna go down into David Jones' locker, you salty dogs. You know, just like, oh, Captain, your teeth fell out. No, you don't tell me about my teeth falling out. I've been pirate ever since. I was a pirate ever since Roger was in swaddling clothes, boy. All right, you stupid kid. What's this guy's name? Kid. Now, yeah, I know he's a kid, but what... What's his name? His name's Captain Kidd. Ah, the kids these days with their stupid pirate names. All right, yeah, Captain Kidd, you're going down. You know, right, so it's that guy. I love that guy. Oh, Ben, I think we got a new person on the hit list for William. All right, so then we have the princess of the bourgeoisie pirates. Uh, panicky Puru... 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 Okay, we, we have a, a girl that's just like... Yeah, get your hands off of Captain Shanks. We'll stop you. And everyone's just like, yeah, you go, Captain. <laughs> okay. Uh, by the way, uh, minor note with her, um, bourgeoisie pirates. There is a bourgeois kingdom that is basically, well, no, because there's a France that's in the East Blue that um, another person we saw at Reverie is actually the queen of. But uh, the bourgeoisie pirates may be connected to the bourgeois kingdom, which uh, Cavendish is from. So, Cavendish is the captain of the beautiful pirates, but he's from the bourgeois kingdom. Maybe this woman is uh, also from the bourgeois kingdom, not really sure. Also, she looks like a Tontada to me. I'm not really sure. She just looks like a Tontada, and she looks like, she's like, Yeah, don't you hurt Captain Shanks, he's our friend! And there was like, Yeah, you go, princess! And like, that's it. Okay, whatever. Anyway... They're approaching kids' ship, and they're not the only ones. There's a lot of other pirate ships. There's like one, two, three, four, five. There's like, well, actually, they're surrounded by, I think they say nine ships later. So, uh, kid just kind of looks out at everybody, and he's just like, um... We're in the new world, right? These are like these are new world pirates we're dealing with because they don't really strike a, a really cutting image. You know what I mean? They don't really look all that scary. So kid is like questioning, like, who are these small fry? Killer walks out and he's like, yeah, well, um, they do have some. Believe it or not, Captain, they they do have some big names on their ships. So you you shouldn't drop your guard. And kid's just like he's like, don't worry, I'll never pull my punches. Oh, don't worry, kid. You don't have to worry about that, buddy. You, you don't have to worry about that. You're okay. You're all right. You're okay. 
you, you don't have to worry about that, all right? It's all good. It's all good, man. So, uh, Killer, as always, with the the noble advice here, he's just like, hey, you know, don't, don't you know, uh, underestimate them. Uh, they might not look like much, but they are still New World Pirates, and they are allied with, with Shanks. So, you know, maybe you should be a little bit cautious of them, okay? So, um... With that said, we now cut back to the mainland of Elbath, off the shore, where Shanks is actually giving an order to all of his ally crews to actually stand down and retreat. And he's like, give them an order to all fall back. And they're like, are you serious? We want to help you. We want to help you, Shanks. We're your ally captains. You know, don't worry about... You don't even have to trouble yourself with this small fry. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And Shanks is like, hey, listen, I appreciate that. I really do. Thank you guys for helping me out. But seriously, I'm the one that's, you know, I, I'm, I'm under... You're under my protection. I'm not under yours. That's how this arrangement works. I will take care of it. Me and my crew, the red-haired pirates, the emperor crew, will take care of it. And dude, Shanks is such a class act. Really, he is. Is. Um, you have all of these uh, famous pirates, I guess, from the New World that are relatively weak. They do mention that these crews are relatively weak, and the only reason they're still around is because Shanks is protecting them. So, you know, while a lot of other Emperor crews will ally with only the best of the best, the strongest crews out of the strongest, Shanks seems to make a, a, a habit of accepting slightly weaker pirate crews into his flag, under his protection, okay? So he's just like, hey, you know what? I like you. I'll, I'll protect you and your crew. Don't worry about anything, okay? So, but they're all, like, like, fawning over Shanks. They are fanboying over Shanks. They're, like, throwing themselves at him and just like, oh, Shanks, we just saw you. Please don't leave us. Shanks is, like, the most popular dude in all of One Piece. I mean, if you saw Shanks walking through your hometown, you'd be like, oh, my God, he's so magnificent. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's, it's Shanks! Like, come on now, right? Um, if there was ever a live-action One Piece... Wait, there is going to be a live-action One Piece. Do we know who's playing Shanks? I think we probably do at this point. If we know who's playing Shanks in live-action, I'll throw him up here. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, they're all, like... Apparently, I guess, Shanks... Because he mentioned he was on Elbaf because he found out there was some people that he thought were dead, and he was reunited with them, and that's why he started hanging out at the bar and started drinking, and he just lost track of time, and that's when kids showed up. So, it looks like he was holding, like, a fan meetup or something, really. It just looks like, yeah, the red-haired pirates are going to be hanging out in this random bar on Elbaf from noon to four. So, come on down and hang out with Shanks. And everybody's just like, yeah, let's go meet Shanks! You know, and they all show up and they're like, we just saw you today, you're incredible! So, um, they all mention that, like, yeah, we're not that strong. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to say that out loud, we're not so strong. But, hey, let's all admit it, we're not, we don't even hold a candle to Shanks, he's the one that he's the chief, he's the big boss, that's what they call him, the big boss. And let him handle it, okay? Uh, there's even some canter. There's a there's an older woman there uh, that's the captain of a pirate crew, and uh, Shanks kind of looks at her and is like, oh, don't worry. What was her name? Old Lady uh, Ori. And she's like, oh, don't worry, Old Lady Ori. You gotta worry more about uh, the, uh, the ravages of time rather than the ravages of a pirate crew. And she's like, oh, you're so sassy, Shanks. <laughs> you know, she's like, whatever. I like this idea because you have to imagine not every pirate that goes into retirement is gonna be as bad ass is Whitebeard, okay? Whitebeard, even in his 70s with a chronic anime illness, was still super powerful. He could still grab, he grabbed a freaking giant at Marineford and just crushed his skull, and it wasn't even that big 
of a deal. You can miss it, honestly, if you blink. But not every pirate that's in their older ages and their retirement ages are gonna be like that, you know? So imagine, you know, this Granny Ori and the dude with the teeth, uh, Fugar. Like, back in their days, they might have been respectable pirates. Probably not super powerful, not on, like, an emperor level, but respectable pirates. And that's the only, the kind of the only life they'd ever known. And then, you know, they start getting on in years and, you know, the, the ravages of time, you know, just like the ticking clock, man. It's the reapers coming for all of us. So they're in their 70s and 80s. So they really should retire because that they're in the new world and, you know, the younger generation's taking over and they're a lot stronger and it's like they're not all they used to be anymore. I mean, uh, this old lady, Granny Ori, she could... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Probably messed you up like 30, 40 years ago. But, you know, she's getting on in years. She has a hip replacement, you know? So what do they do? Uh, they could retire, but they don't want to. That's the pirate life is all they've known. So they keep on being pirate crews, but they're clearly outmatched. And then that's when Shanks shows up. And Shanks is like, he's the well-meaning uh, well natured guy. It's just like, hey, you want to live your life as a pirate. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of anything. Anyone, anyone causes you any trouble, you give me a call. All right, I'll take care of it. No questions asked. You know, that kind of stuff. Man, Shanks, dude. So, um, Shanks boards his ship, the Red Force, and uh, Lucky Roo is there, Ben Beckman's there, Lime Juice is there. Uh, he, talks, he talks to uh, Lucky Roo a little bit, and Lucky Roo is just like, you know, we got this, Chief. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of him. So, it's almost like they're not even, Shanks is not even going to get involved in the fight at first. Um, Yasop is there, and Shanks is like, hey, um, this kid guy, he, they, 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 Wano was only like a couple weeks ago. Is all of his wounds healed? And Yasop's like, well, I took a look at him earlier, and he seems okay. And Shanks is like, oh, okay. Should be alright then. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to the lead-up to what is going to happen here, okay? The setup for this battle is that Shanks knows that Eustace Captain Kid is arriving. He even warns his crew. <laughs> he even warns his crew. Hey, don't underestimate this guy. He might be a little bit of an upstart. We might have kicked his ass earlier. But uh, this new generation, you know, they get strong fast. They got something to prove. Because Shanks is well aware of how strong Luffy got in just the span of a couple years. And so Shanks is not going to be like, okay, let's just take care of Eustace Kid and then call it a day, have some ice cream after. No, it's like, all right, we got to do this. All right, if we're going to do this, let's just... 
All right, is he injured? And he's like, no, he looks okay, because Yasop's also the sniper, so he probably just looked through his scope and saw a kid, and he's, you know, all healed up from Wano. And he's like, yeah, he looks fine to me, and Shanks is like, all right, it's okay then. That sort of implies that if Kid was still mortally wounded, like heavily wounded from Kaido and Big Mom, uh, like if he was rolling up and he had like a broken arm and he's walking around with a crutch or something, Shanks would probably be like, eh, really don't feel like fighting this guy today. But he's like, okay. You know, he's in fighting shape. Okay, all right, he asked for this. Um, Shanks asks uh, about any situation revolving around Blackbeard, like what's the status of Blackbeard. Hongo, who is the doctor of the Red Hair crew, tosses Shanks a little dossier, a little packet of papers. He also says, well, we don't really know where Blackbeard's at right now, but we know he is currently not on the Hachinosu, which is that's true. He's currently on Winter Island fighting law. So they don't know exactly that he's there yet, but you know he's, he's not on Hachinosu, okay? Um, and so Shanks is just like, all right, um, that's good to know. He looks through the dossier, and it's information on kids. So he's like, okay, so he's a pirate from the South Blue. Oh boy, he's been causing some ruckus, hasn't he? Okay, so once again, once again, Shanks is like doing this the correct way, sort of like the pirate honor kind of way. Um, you don't go after an enemy that's still heavily wounded from a former battle. That's not cool. You don't do that. Uh, if you're gonna fight, you're gonna fight on somewhat equal terms. Equal terms is sort of a relative term here, but you know what I mean? It's just like, I'm not gonna fight someone that has a broken arm, a broken leg, and a collapsed lung, you know what I mean? I'm gonna fight someone when they're at their best. And he's looking it up, and he's just like, all right, he's a pirate in the South Blue. Like, he's taking his time with this. He's learning about the kind of guy that Eustace Captain Kid is. Maybe he can use that to his advantage. Maybe he can somehow defuse the situation. I'm not entirely sure at this point Shanks even wants to fight him. He doesn't really. He's just like, this is, I have to do this. I have to do something about this guy, kid. He's going to attack my ally crews. He's going to attack Elbath. I have to make sure he doesn't rampage here. Dorian Broggy's with him, by the way. He asked Dorian Broggy to help him out. But you can see that Shanks, if there's any way for him to defuse the situation here without fighting, He's going to do it. And he even sent Rockstar. In fact, I think Rockstar is probably still on his way to just, like, you know, make parlay with the kid crew. And just be like, hey, give us your Poneglyphs and leave, and we won't do anything to you, right? So, that is very important to pay attention to Shanks's demeanor, his attitude here, uh, before the absolute Ragnarok that we're about to witness here, okay? So, he's looking through all this information. Shanks is being very cool, very calm, very collected. Meanwhile, on the Victoria Punk, Kid is like, All right, everybody, here we are, Elbath. This is the final of the giant island. There's Shanks, red-haired Shanks. He's a member of the Yonko. He's a member of the Empress. I could take him. I could take him. I took down Kaido. I took down Big Mom. Yeah, some other people were there to help me, but whatever. I took down Big Mom. Yeah, we could do this. And, and even the rest of the crew are kind of just like, uh, Captain, are you okay? Are you sure we could do this? Hell yeah, I'm sure we could do this. Actually, you know what? I'm just diving right in. And then he gathers up all the metal on the, on the deck of the Victoria Punk that he has handy, and he forms it into his rail gun, all right? Kid's rail gun, all right? And he's just like, you know what? How many ships are there, killer? Uh, one, two, yeah, it looks about like nine right now, I'd say. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna knock them all down, sink them all to Davy Jones' locker, and then we can have some ice cream after. Have Shanks' head as a freaking dessert. Here we go, everybody! Damned punk! Can you not see the difference here between these two? A lot of similarities between Kid and Shanks. A lot of similarities. They're both missing an arm. Both got red hair. Both got a scar on their face. A lot of similarities. 
In terms of appearance, experience, wisdom, battle, honor, respect, decorum, level-headedness, uh, the ability to stay cool in a situation like this, uh, couldn't be further apart. Couldn't be further apart. There's not enough, there's not enough space in this ever-expanding universe we live in to show how far apart that is. Shanks has future sight hockey. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but I could have assumed. I mean, he's Shanks. He's, he's Shanks. He's got Conqueror's hockey out the ass, so the fact that he has future sight, by the way, it's way better than Katakuri's. Katakuri could see, how, how far do you think Katakuri could see into the future? Like if you were gonna actually give it a, a, a time, like a number, five seconds maybe? Five, five to ten seconds, I think, is pretty fair for Katakuri. Katakuri could kind of see a couple things, like, maybe, like, a, not, not, like, immediately in the future, because, you know, seeing, like, two seconds into the future is really not going to be all that useful, because I can see two seconds into the future. Okay, here we are, you know, but maybe, maybe, like, maybe a little bit longer than that. You want to be nice with it, maybe Katakuri could say ten to twenty seconds into the future, something like that. I'm pretty sure Shanks could see like a good clear minute or so into the future here. Um, so Shanks, very calm and collected. He's looking over his notes. The battle hasn't started yet, all right? And he's just like, and then instant tone shift, instant tone shift. He sees Kid in his vision, in his future sight vision, taking out his damn punk and just boom, sunken ship, boom, sunken ship, boom just unloading into all of these ally crews. He sees all of their ships getting completely destroyed, incinerated in the attack. He sees his fellow comrades brutally just destroyed. He sees bodies ripped apart from the sheer force of getting hit with this laser rail gun that Kid has. We saw it, what it could do. This thing could even stagger Big Mom, all right? It broke Big Mom's arm at like 90 degree angles. Okay, now she could heal that, but the fact that this weapon, no, wait, no, no, that wasn't even that weapon. That was the, the steel, um, the bowl thing he made, broke Big Mom's arm. This thing was able to knock her back, though. It was able to rattle her. And this was the attack that knocked Big Mom through the floor, which ultimately landed her in the hole. That was the final attack the kid used against Big Mom. Notably, this is his strongest attack, okay, is the damn punk railgun. It, it's not part of his awakening. His awakening is the assign abilities and the punk uh, crash technique that he uses, but this is his strongest offensive move that we've seen so far, and he's opening with this. Uh, we see it in, in Shanks' vision, and his face immediately goes from, all right, pirate from the south blue to, all right, he's fucking dead. All right, and that's, it's over. It's game over, okay? Because he, he sees that kid went well, well over the line, over the line, okay? Kid did not, kid did not step over the line Kid did not jump over the line. Kid did not pull vote over the line. Kid went to the nearest rocket launch site, got in a spaceship, and got launched over the line through the exosphere on the other side of the planet. That's what Kid did, all right? So Shanks immediately jumps off of his ship, careens like a speeding bullet, straight for the Victoria Punk, straight line. No backup. Ben Beckman, Lucky Roo, they just kind of look up. Ben Beckman looks up and is just like, 
Well, probably saw a pretty crappy future. And then Shanks is like, as expected, and he just goes careening toward Kid. Kid is like, not even charging up his damn punk yet. He's just like, all right, everybody, let's go. Is that Shanks? Shanks takes out his sword, Griffin, and Sigil Owazamono great sword. And I don't know if that's confirmed either, but it probably is. And he swings and he uses Divine Departure. He uses Kamusari. He uses the same technique that Roger, his father figure and former captain used against Odin during their battle. He uses that same technique that sent Odin flying through like seven trees, okay, that were the size of like redwoods, and then boom. Now, here's a debate. You could say Shanks is maybe even stronger than Roger, you know, because Shanks is like the apprentice of Roger. It's like the student has surpassed the master. Or maybe you don't want to go that far with it. Maybe you want to say that Shanks' technique is not as strong as Roger. But hey, man, whatever you're going to say about this, even if you're going to say it's not even on the same level of Roger, it can't be much below that. This was a technique, by the way. This is also going to show you a great uh, level of... Um, uh, feats that Odin was able to do, okay? So he uses Divine Departure here. He completely shreds apart the damn punk railgun. And, uh, I mean, just sliced right in half and just destroyed. I will also add that it was simultaneously that damned punk railgun that screwed over Kid because the second he pulled that out, Shanks attacked. But also, if it wasn't for that gun absorbing most of that impact, Kid would be cut in two right now. Kid would be in two pieces. He'd be laying over there and he'd be laying over there, okay? This gun managed to cushion most of that impact, but still, he gets struck right here in the center of his chest. Boom! With Shanks' Griffin, Kamusari, and boom! One shot down. I would say dead. Kid's dead. All right, so, okay, okay, we don't know that for certain. I'm not going to get overboard, but he gets hit by this. He goes down, blood everywhere, immediately knocked out, immediately one shot down, all right? Down on the deck. The other members, some of the members of, uh, by the way, Hank, uh, not Hank, why did I say Hank? Shanks, Hank, Hank Hill. You don't want to mess with Hank Hill. Now I'm just, now I'm just picturing Hank Hill doing all this. It's just like, well, Bobby, it seems that Eustace Kid's here. But, Dad, we can't go fight him. Well, son, you see, you don't just go rushing at somebody. And then he's like, wait a second, he's destroying all the propane. All right, son, I'm going to go kick his ass. Sorry, my Hank Hill's not that great. But anyway, um, okay. Shanks is just exuding Conqueror's Hockey the entire time this is going on. So a lot of members of Kid's crew are just passing out right there. I think we see UK. UK is the dude that has, like, the hair going over his eye he just immediately gets knocked out um so that's happening meanwhile so you know kid is there with his damn punk shanks just goes flying in superman style with this sword griffin and i, I want to i want you to see this from kid's perspective okay like he's charging up his giant bfg ready to just launch it and then he just sees a blip just out of the corner of his eye just a little twinkle and then <laughs> right here Right here, I'm going to picture. Well, I guess, no, he hit him right here. So the entire gun just gets destroyed in, like, slow motion. Like, <laughs> right about here, right about here is where Eustace Kid's life flashed before his eyes. He only has a brief memory of his father, Eustace Valve, of course. He got killed by some random pirate crew, like, 20-something years ago. Um, but then he remembers growing up 
in the South on an island, ravaged by crime gangs, growing up in a junkyard, eventually uh, falling in love with his childhood friend, him and Killer's childhood friend. Uh, didn't end very well there. Uh, he also eventually grows up and uh, leads one of the crime families in all of the South and on that entire island, the four uh, family heads. So you got Kid and then Killer and then Wire and then Heat. And then they eventually took over the island completely and then they eventually went out to sea and they formed a pirate crew. Have their ship, the Victoria Punk, all the memories they've had together. It was right about here when uh, Kid had that, had that flashback, in case you were curious. And then, okay. So, um, Kid goes down and uh, Shanks is not saying a word. He lands on the deck of their ship and he just gives this glare of just like, I mean, if there was a portal to hell, this would about, it would be Shanks' gauge right here. Uh, Killer is also down. We didn't even see this, but Killer just reflexively jumped in to try to protect Kid and help him out, give him support. He also got taken out. Shanks dropped Kid and Killer, two members of the worst generation. Kid with a bounty of three billion, and Killer, I forget his bounty, but it's well over, I think, 300. It's comparable to, like, Zoro's. Probably not now, but pretty high. Uh, actually, after the events of Wano, I don't think we know about Kid, uh, Killer's bounty after Wano, but it's probably easily over a billion or pretty close to that. Um, but anyway, Shanks took them both down with one sword swing. With one attack. By himself. <laughs> Uh, so Killer's down, half of his mask is cracked off, Kid's down. Heat and Wire immediately, Heat and Wire are the next command structure on the ship, are just like, okay, okay, we quit, we forfeit, we surrender, we're sorry, here, take the Potoglyph, take him, we don't need him, take him, just get out of here, please do not kill our captain. Shanks doesn't say a word, he doesn't even take the Potoglyph etchings, he doesn't even reach out and grab them. We see Heat's, he's just like, just take him, just take him, get out of here. The next scene is uh, another ship, probably one of the ally ships, um, shows up. And they're like, hey, Captain, over here. Shanks just kind of like, hmm? Whoop! Just jumps off the Victoria Punk, lands on the ally ship. And then over on the mainland of Elbaf, you see Dory and Broggy rearing up their attacks. Dory with his mighty greatsword, Broggy with his mighty axe. And, um... Final scene of the chapter, double page spread. We have Dorian Broggy, the greatest giant warriors that Elbaf has ever known. Lay down some words of wisdom. If you're going to point a loaded cannon at someone's hometown, don't be surprised if they're the ones that fight back too. And they swing their weapons in unison and use Hakako sovereignty. Same attack that completely obliterated the Island Eater that they used to destroy that uh, giant goldfish. Um, it punches a hole through the ocean, through the earth, and splits the Victoria Punk in half. Just, pfft, whole ship just goes just to splinters, just shattered into a million pieces. Um, two pieces at first, and then just, pfft, into the water. All of Kid's crew just fall into the ocean, and uh, we have the narrator coming on. The narrator's even stunned. The narrator is just like, and on this day, holy shit, uh, uh, okay. and on this day, in the new world at Warland Albaf, the Kid pirate crew, captained and spearheaded by Eustace Captain Kid, a pirate with a bounty of three billion, was completely eradicated.
And then last scene, we just see Shanks just... I mean, I can't even do it. I don't... I'm not a very intimidating guy. Shanks just gives the glare of, like... You know what Shanks' glare reminds me of? Uh, well, not reminds me of, but... Dude... Oda is so good at conveying a person's life story through just their gaze. Take a moment and just look at Shanks's. I can't show it, but just look at Shanks's gaze at the end of the chapter, at the last panel we have. That gaze shows you this guy has seen a lot of crap. He doesn't like doing this. Shanks does not make it his everyday activity to go and, and do this type of shit. But... It is his duty, it is his responsibility to his crew, to his allies, the people that rely on him for safety. It's like, in a lot of ways, it's, it's just kind of like uh, Whitebeard defending his sons. Not in the exact same way, but Shanks views it as like, these are the people that are tasked with my protection. I am in charge of these people, in a way. I am responsible for them. I will protect them at all costs. Um, Shanks has a switch. All right, that he flips on and off. The switch is, if you're going to fight him the right way, this could have gone completely differently. This could have gone completely differently, and I'll tell you how it could have gone. If Kid did not go off the handle and just start taking out his damn punk and about to blast all these, I start blasting, you know? Didn't go the Danny DeVito route with it. Let's say, um, let's say Rockstar arrives on the Victoria Punk and gives Shanks his offer. And uh, let's say Kid and Killer say, hey... We're not, we're not handing over our Poneglyphs. We're fighting him. And then Rockstar would probably be like, okay, um, tell you what, how about you just do it one-on-one, -on -one, mono on mono. And Kid is like, I would love nothing more. Kid gets off his ship. Maybe uh, they go to some other island, maybe around Elbaf, not on the mainland, but they find some other rock in the ocean. And Shanks steps out, and he's like, you sure you want to do this? Be like, yup. He's like, okay. You want any time to prepare? I, I don't, I have, you, take your time. Take your time to prepare, man. Shanks would have been, Shanks was completely amenable to this. He was not charging headlong. He was just like, all right, is he okay? Is he okay? Who is he? All right, all right. Shanks would have given him all the time in the world. If, if, if Kid wanted a fight, if he wanted an honorable duel with Shanks, the Emperor of the Sea, Shanks would have given him that easily. They would have had a duel. Shanks still would have won. No shit. But the duel would have happened. Maybe Kid would have survived. Maybe he would have died. Depends on the duel. Depends on Shanks' mood, honestly. But he would have had that. Their ship would have still been there. Killer and the crew would have been untouched. After the duel, after Shanks probably slices off Kid's other arm, he'd be like, you lost. Get going. That's the pirate code. That's what he was raised on. His father figure, you know, his adopted father, basically, Roger, taught him that. Let's say, for example, by the way, Whitebeard, back in his day, back, back in the time of Whitebeard and Roger, let's say Whitebeard was just hanging out on some random island one day with a bunch of civilians in a bar drinking, and Roger shows up. Is Roger going to bust into the town, burn the entire town down, destroy the bar, and kill everybody on sight? No. Because he has a code. Pirates have a code. Big Mom said it best back during Wano when she decked out page one. Even pirates have a code. And Shanks was raised by not just a pirate. Shanks was raised by the pirate. That's how he was brought up. With that being said, 
Eustace should know this. And Eustace just throws that code into the garbage. Eustace does not care. He asked for every bit of this that happened to him. You can't just go headlong and just storm in and just attack everybody without any question. Like, I'm just going to finish them all off. Bam, bam, bam. You know, and just expect that to always work. Because then you're going to run into Shanks. And that's where he shuts that shit down pretty quick. So Eustace, you brought this upon yourself, buddy. We knew this was going to be bad, but yeah. So, um, is Kid dead? Probably not, no. Killer's not dead. They're going to be still alive. There's other members of the crew that can swim. They don't all have devil fruit powers. I don't even think Heat and Wire have devil fruit powers, so they'll, they'll probably grab Kid and Killer, get them out of the water. Don't know where they're going to go. They're in Warland Elbaf right now. I, I don't know where they're just going to go. They're going to probably drift at sea for a couple of days. Uh, probably a lot of them are going to die. Now I know why Oda, a couple SBSs ago, Oda revealed all of, uh, not all of them, but he revealed like like uh, 20 members of Kid's crew. And I think Oda said like, oh yeah, 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 there's like 30 members or so, but here's only like 20 of them. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe the reason why Oda's not revealing all of the members of Kid's crew is because he wants to keep them a secret for later on. No, I think just the reason because um, he knew a lot of them were going to die. So no point naming corpses. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, pretty sure those uh, unnamed members of uh, Kid's crew that Oda didn't even bother creating designs for or names for, they all died here. And uh, they're going to be floating at sea for a while. They might, keep, they might be fished out by somebody. Tell you what, if Eustace were to die here, the message that would send, not just to the world of One Piece, but like us, the readers of like, this, this is Shanks. He don't play around, all right? But the crew is eradicated, eviscerated, annihilated gone. No longer in existence. So, yeah, anybody out there that was expecting Kid to somehow become the Pirate King, no, he, he's out of the running pretty quick. Kind of surprising. A lot of the other supernovas, I mean, even Apu is still around, you know? Hawkins might be dead, but Drake's still around, Apu is still around, we don't know what Rouge is up to, Bonnie's still around, Beji's still around. Kid was the first one to bite the dust, huh? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Well, um, don't want to take up more of your time, so uh, I'm, I'm just going to get going. Uh, got, uh, got some laundry to do, doing, doing some laundry, going to go do that. Um... I'm actually filming this Wednesday night right now. I don't, I don't actually know if I'm going to upload this. It's 8 o'clock on Wednesday right now because I just wanted to get this done. Uh, I might upload this tonight. Just why not, right? Or I might wait till tomorrow. Depends. Um, if you were a, uh, a fan of Eustace Captain Kid, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, dude. You're sitting there with your little kid pirate's flag and you're just like, Yeah, kid, you're not Captain Mid. You could show him. Okay, seriously though, I, I will give you something to go off here. Like, the Captain Mid thing. Guys, this was Shanks. I, I don't want to hear that they, oh yeah, he's Captain Mid, alright. Like, 
If he was Captain High Tier, would that have done anything better? If he was Captain, like, I'm Captain Badass of the Badass Pirates, my specialty's being a badass, would that have done anything? Would that have yielded much more results from him? No, it wouldn't. Captain Low Tier, Captain Mid Tier, Captain High Tier, doesn't matter which. The result would have been the same. Trust me on that. All right, well, I'm going to get going. Uh, you guys have a good night. Later.